Now, True Wealth, presented by Little John Financial Services. Here are David Little John and Katie Shook with True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. All right, all right. Oh, I love the Matthew McConaughey. Welcome back to the True Wealth Show, your favorite Tuesday you've had all week, and I am stoked to be back in the studio. Right. Because I'm, no <laughs> yeah, I'm no longer in an undisclosed location. Uh, I'm here in the studio. Woohoo! Which way? I guess we could say it's yeah. un, you know, not it's, disclosed, it's, but it's disclosed. It's you <laughs> if, know, you, it's, if you get up Google, you can look it up at the station. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so I'm your host, David Littlejohn, in studio. Joining me, of course, is Katie Shuck. And so, David, fun. where were you? I was in Myrtle Beach, South. Well, North Myrtle Beach, because there's actually Myrtle Beach and North Myrtle Beach. They're two separate locations uh-huh. in South Carolina. Yes. I was enjoying a family visit. Uh, my family went out, and then a few days later, my brother, uh, one of my brothers and his kids came out. We all got together with uh, my father, and uh, so it was a big group of us. There was 13 in the group in total. That's a good group. Yeah, you know, my family's a contingent of five. My brother's family's a contingent of six, so 13. So I guess you would I say— I would hate to see the two of you going anywhere to eat. Like they would walk, watch you guys walk in with all those kids and be like, and we're definitely charging the gratuity on this one. <laughs> yeah. So we didn't do a bunch of eating out because it's complicated. And, you know, with COVID density, they don't really, you know, they don't want big groups and tables, that kind of thing. So it, it made for a complex. Uh, well, and what did you out. say? There was like six kids under a certain age or something, oh, or seven uh, kids under nine and under. Under five? Yeah. Or under. Yeah. So we had two three-year-olds, two five-year-olds, because the the five-year-olds are cousins, but the two three-year-olds are twins. Twins, right. And then we had seven, nine, and 12. Yeah. It's a lot of kids. A lot of kids. Uh, Although I will say that, you know, the 12-year-olds, you know, 12 going on 25, so uh, (laughs) I don't know how we- Mini adult? And and eats like an adult now, so- (laughs) I, I guess I'm like, well, just start paying taxes, and we're there. Oh, so, it feels like it, doesn't it? Now, uh-huh, uh-huh. anyhow, it was a great trip. We did the usual, right? So had a hurricane on the trip. David likes to take natural disasters with him. He kind of packs them in the front pocket of his suitcase. Yeah, I, you know, at one point he did text me and goes, "Guess what? You're gonna laugh. What's up? Uh, there's a hurricane that's supposed to hit." And I'm like. If- like, go figure. Really? Like, does that have to follow and you? It follows me everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. So I've been to Myrtle Beach several times. I've had multiple hurricanes. I've had an evacuation. I remember going to Alabama one time. It actually was downgraded to a tropical storm. But where we were staying was on a, a an earthen dammed lake, and the dam broke. And everything <laughs> flooded there. We had to be evacuated from that. Sorry, I don't mean to laugh, but I'm just, you know, it's like, oh, the little black cloud is following it's, me around the so country. <laughs> this will sound weird, but in college, I had an opportunity to go to Bangladesh. And we had a typhoon, which is their version when we were there. <laughs> oh, uh, we have family in Hawaii. Went to visit there and had a hurricane come to Hawaii. Right. So and I, and I mean, like, still, like most of the time, by the way, you pretty much go unscathed. Like, it kind of either goes around you or, like, gently crawls by you. Like, it's never like you're in this massive hotel-destroying thing. So we're on the sixth floor. That's My dad lives on the sixth floor of an oceanfront building. And the we sat and watched the storm. Uh, Even went out in the eye of the storm. That was kind of novel, right? But we watched the storm. 
And it, we thought, well, this is no big deal. Three miles north of us, 100 mile an hour winds that went through and broke all kinds of stuff, caused millions of dollars in damage. And where we were, it like blew a chair over. That's like crazy. By, out, out by the pool. There yeah, was you're like, like three miles, which is not that far. Oh, we walked that. Like we were we were walking up there by day. We covered, you know, I probably averaged seven, eight miles a day of just walking on the beach and hanging out. I got the sunburn to prove it. Yeah. <laughs> so what David is really telling you is he had a lot of very good true wealth moments, right? It's, Created a lot of memories with a lot of generations. Yep. That was awesome. It was really rewarding. Uh, we did fly. We wore the masks. We did all the stuff. I did, felt safe. Didn't fit. You know, it was not a miserable experience. How was it going through the airports? Anything I, different other than just more space? Yeah, lower density in general. There's just are fewer people, and because there are fewer people traveling. But it was, it was, it was different. So we did a trip earlier to Texas, and the airports were shut down. There was no restaurants or anything. It was actually quite uh, inconvenient. Uh, that this you guys will laugh. This was not a true wealth moment. We were connecting through Las Vegas. Only one newsstand was open, so this one you just have to share. Like a regular bag of M and M's. How? What does the airport charge for a bag of M and M's? Well, it depends on the bag, but I would say like Peanut three. Like, like three, regular size. Like three or four bucks. Yeah, fourteen. What? Fourteen dollars. Fourteen dollars for a bag of M and M's. Yeah, I, I mean. If it weren't for the fact that they were just the messenger, I wanted to like punch the, the clerk cashier and just be like, like, seriously, why would you even be here for that? You extortionist. But, you know, they're just doing their job. So I needed to figure out who's in charge of the price. Fourteen dollars for a bag of M&Ms. Oh, it was extortion. It was horrible. So anyway, we we didn't buy the M&Ms. But nevertheless, this last trip and we connected from Portland through Atlanta and we had Chick-fil-A and it was fine. Everything was great. So it was um, it was a really good travel experience. And we had a fan we flew on Delta. Fantastic experience. Do you know if are the airlines now providing more snack meals because of it? Like I'm just curious about traveling in general, well, just because they are, obviously um, I still want to go somewhere. Just I think they're they what they were handing out was like this little plastic bag that had pre- set they had like a, a small blot of water you know like the six ounces or whatever mm -hmm. and it had a couple of snacks so like some peanuts or almonds probably not peanuts i think it was almonds or like one time i had like a little biscuit they're usually like pretzels or something that are not nuts because people yeah. have nut allergies yeah but they were handing them to you as you got on the plane no they actually did the service down the aisle oh, okay and brought them to us i mean it was a five and a half hour flight so they're gonna i think the flight attendants would get bored too they're like, let's go do something. Yeah, please give us a job. Yeah. Okay. I'm but just curious no because sodas. we talked about. Yeah, no soda. You had to get, it's just, well, here's the water. That's what you get. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Supply chain? No, I think it's just a safety protocol. They just didn't want to be handling stuff so they could just bag Oh, it because they usually and... do have the large bottles. I, although, depending on which airline you fly on, a lot of times I pre-purchase meals or pre-purchase like some of the stuff. So yeah, it's Yeah, there was none of that easy. going on. So. But, well, good. I'm gl we're glad you're back. I'm glad yeah. you're back. I'm glad to be back. And by the way, I want to point out, since I w have done the last two week shows on businesses, small businesses, which we're still considered a small business, even though we're growing leaps yep. and bounds. Um, this is a this is a testament a little bit to small businesses, right? Your business has now grown to the point where you can actually take a two week vacation and not be working the whole vacation. Right. That it's really significant. This is 
so let's talk for a moment. This is, I guess, an entrepreneur, you know, interjection, if right. you will. A lot of people that start businesses, I mean, a bunch of our listeners, right? I realize you're not business owners. And so this is well, they could be. You, you don't know. You might be. I mean, you some of, be. there are definitely some listeners that are or that are considering it. And so there's this culture in the entrepreneurial land, entrepreneurial landscape where a, a lot of the time early on the entrepreneur, you know, you wear every hat. You, you do it all. Right. Everything. Because you have to. Including cleaning the toilets. Like yes. you do everything. The joke is you're the chief cook and bottle washer. Right. right? So you're doing everything. And it's hard if you're really good at, say, making a widget to then get out of making the widget because you have to manage an organization with people making the widget and you're having to manage people. And you get outside of what maybe your your initial passion was. Right. I'm sort of fortunate because as much as I love, I just love people. You are I, a people I, person. I, you know, I am the last person to leave the party unless my wife is like, we got to go. Because I love people. I love. <laughs> Me too. I love I'm the one with the like stories. my eyes half closed, don't want to talk. Yeah. <laughs> Totally. I, I draw energy from people. True. And so I can just hang out as soon as the crowd disperses. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm tired. Right. Right. But right. I am a true extrovert. True. Like, that's just who I am. So I love people and I love the field of finance. And I love teaching and helping people to achieve goals. So it's always been fun to do the planning and the investing and so forth. But I also love the entrepreneurial vision process and seeing an organization like the path of growth for an organization and how they mature and yeah it's i've been doing this 20 years i know isn't that crazy yeah I, and you know a lot of people that yeah 20 years no literally 20 years i started my career in insurance it was still 1999 when i got started so not and it was you know I, I was just graduating from college so 20 years later in fact september will be the uh, sort of the unofficial anniversary that's when the paperwork was drawn up for little john financial Aww. right and you know if you technically started in 99 you could say you've been doing it for three decades because you've been in three decades yeah i guess i could <laughs> oh, that's, oh that's the vince carter argument he he had been in three decades in the nba right right, right? so that's why uh, i'm bringing it up it's kind of funny okay yes so, so anyhow uh, or four, actually. Four. Right? Because he'd been in the 90s, the 2010s, the 2010s, and then the 2020s. Yeah. So I could say I'm almost in four decades I now. know. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> You're like, no, I'm not that old. <laughs> like, whoa, how'd that work out? Yeah, just fortunate timing. So anyhow, I uh, talking about the pathway of growth as entrepreneurs is really fun one of the things that was impressed upon me at some point in the development is if you really want to be successful, you have to make yourself replaceable. Listen to that again. If you really want to be successful, you have to make yourself replaceable. Right. That is tremendously counterintuitive. Right. Because we've even talked about on the show as an employee, like yeah. if you want to be more valuable as an employee, make yourself irreplaceable. irreplaceable but you're saying it's the opposite for, as an owner and entrepreneur like if you want to become more successful because basically what you're saying is you then have to delegate your work away yeah so to other people yeah the question of why why do you want to be replaceable weird question right why don't we i'll just let's take a break 
and I'm going to tackle this and seems weird. And then we'll talk about why it's relevant to investing as well. Right. So we'll bring it all home. But why should an entrepreneur make themselves replaceable? That and more when we come back. This is David Littlejohn and Katie Shuck. You're listening to True Wealth on News Radio 1240. KQEN. Hey, gang, welcome back to the True Well Show. Oh, yay, starting to jingle. <laughs> We're going to do it when, maybe for Halloween. What? I don't know. Would we can do like some fun little jingle. I don't know. I, I do not know how to make it into a jingle. I all. don't either. I, I want to take a poll. You know, we've I've wondered, is, is the True Well Show, is it the right name for it? That's the poll? Well, yeah. Is that the right name or should it? Because we've always wondered about, you know, it's Little John Financial. Right. I mean, it could be the Little John. It could just be the Little John Financial Show. Yeah. But that sounds very. uh, Less true wealthy. Yeah. More egotistical. Yeah. Like, oh, we decided to name it after you. And that's the funny thing is it's never. It's never. It's not really about your ego, though. No. And we do. And I think we do bring it back to true wealth moments frequently. So I don't feel like it's a bad name for the show. I don't know. I don't know if we had named it. Well, you guys can give your opinion if you want. You can go on Facebook on our Little John Facebook page and let us know. Should we change sure. the name of the show? Yeah. And go. if so, throw out some ideas of what you think it should be called. Yeah. Well, yeah. PG ideas. Come on now. Yeah. Be nice. <laughs> be nice. <laughs> All right. Uh, we were talking at the break. And remember, if you this stuff gets podcasted. So go check out the podcast also available on the web page, which is littlejohnfs, because financial services, right? Dot com. Right. So go to littlejohnfs.com and you can check out. Uh, we got a bunch of these things on podcast. I know, like, I still got to listen to the last couple of weeks. I know. Right? Because you had some fun <laughs> guests on. I yeah. Had... Was it fun doing the show with mom? It is, although it's so hard because I just adore my mother so much. So I'm like, I love you, mom. Like, I just kept feeling like I needed to tell the world, even though everybody's like, yeah, yeah, we got it. You yeah. love your mother. We get but, it. Yeah, we get it. It's nepotistic. All right. No, it, really not at all. I um, She inspires me as a businesswoman. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, a, she's done a bunch of entrepreneurial she's ventures too. Very entrepreneurial, and um, and I greatly appreciate just her grooming me as a child. Um, you know, it's amazing. Oh, me too. Yeah, me too. Yeah, <laughs> David. Like, David hey. takes advantage of it very well. No, it's and it's funny to me. Um, even today. So today we were. Um, I can't believe I've been with going on like seven years now. Like we're working on our seventh year. In We've been together. Year. Yeah. Over in six April, years now. It was we, we, we finished six years in April because you were uh, hired in 2014. April 13. 2014. It was 2013. <laughs> yeah. It's, I know. Blah, 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 blah. I know. I know. It just, it goes by so fast. But anyway, so David and I were talking today and um, it's, it's fascinating. Like the things I gravitate towards the, the, you know, some of it's personality. Some of it's just, you know, I've been groomed by an entrepreneurial mother um, and I was kind of hoping to spread those things to other entrepreneurs. I know there's a lot of people that listen that are either small business owners, entrepreneurs, or maybe inspired to be an entrepreneur one day. Like sure. right now, a lot of, not a lot, I don't know, that's a big word. Um, people are considering, some people are considering career changes, right? COVID's either. Because <laughs> you have to, got it. Some people, because they have to, or other people are <laughs> like, well, I've realized I'm not really in love with my job. Maybe now's a good time to search while I can or, you know, I mean, who knows, right? And some people are kind of wondering if they have a job to go back to. True. So it's, um, you know, if you're considering being an entrepreneur, entrepreneur, then the question is to kind of ask yourself, do you want to do that? And you were talking about widget. I think a lot of people get started because they're like, I know how to do my job really well and I can get paid more if I do it by myself. 
could be true. But raising an organization is not the same as you being really good at building a widget. They right. are two totally different things. And I think sometimes that's when entrepreneurs get in hot water. Yeah. Well, it's the like the inventor that doesn't know how to run the business. They can invent a thing, but then how do you get it to market and market it and get it done so that people get the thing? Well, that's and I've, a whole different animal. And I've heard from business owners and some reading and stuff like that is that, you know, a lot of times when you have a great employee, they get promoted to a manager because you're like, oh, they're such a great employee. They may not make a great manager. They may not know how to manage oh, people yeah. just Lots because they're of books about that, too. Right. Like taking it's like, the top salesperson and making them the manager. And you go, but you just took them out of their sort of zone of genius and turned them into something that they weren't awesome at. And OK. Expand on that, because we were talking about that today. Zone of genius. What does that mean? Okay, so I'm going to – we we have to still answer the other question, yes. right? Why entrepreneurs need to be replaceable. Yes. But I'll answer the zone of genius question because you asked it first. Okay. And because, you know, we took, we took a break, but I'm not going to leave you guys hanging on that one. So the zone of genius is – a term and now I gotta remember I gotta remember the title of the book. Right? I'm gonna look this up because I have the internet. So Zone of Genius came from um I'll lose. I'll have to Well while find he's it looking for it while he's anyway, looking for the, it. The really idea quick. is that we all have different strengths. Some things we just do because we're capable, other things that we do because we're actually good at it, right? You might be really talented at something, but then some things you're just uniquely gifted and it is your sweet spot. Right. Okay. Like you thrive and, in that environment yeah. or in that role. And when you get into your zone of genius, uh, you're really doing your highest value stuff. The problem is for many business owners, small business in particular, folks get stuck working in their, call it a zone of competency or something similar where you're very good at it. But it's not really your genius. Other people could do what you're doing, but you just don't have them on, around you. So you're sort of forced to work in that role and it prevents you from getting to the real pinnacle of your effectiveness. And that is a, it's a bit of a trap, right? And it's also, the, I'll call it the entrepreneur's conundrum. You know, you need to grow, but you don't have the resources to grow yet. But without, so, the, without, but without the extra the help, yeah. then you don't grow how, because if, yeah, you can't, you, it's, yeah, yeah that how really. How do you break out of this feedback loop? Because I need more resources to break out of the feedback loop, but I can't break out of the feedback loop because I don't have the resources. So people sort of get stuck on the treadmill and it's a tough place to be. And if you think about advice from entrepreneurs, or certainly if I do, if I think about advice I've received from other entrepreneurs, they routinely say this, I wish I would have done X sooner. Right. I wish that I would have hired my first person. I wish I would have done this other decision where I was worried about it, but I didn't make the decision earlier because of this fear that I had in the way. Right. Now, let's be very clear here. That is a lot like a stock trader only talking about their winning trades. Like you've just talked to somebody that is successful talking about, I wish I would have done anything sooner because I could have been further. That's what right. they're thinking. Um, it's, they, doing it sooner doesn't mean for sure that it would have yeah. made them successful. I wish I would have bought Tesla when it was at $50 a share. Yeah. <laughs> and not 900 1400 Fort, yeah. See? $50 or whatever a it share. is now. It's, it was really hard. Oh, it's ridiculous. Uh, we can find out because, again, internet. Okay, so why? We were talking about being. 1375 oh, Replaceable versus, like, you want to make yourself replaceable. 
Yes. And are you replaceable? S- parts. Okay. So here's the thing about the feedback loop, right? When we're saying you need the resources to break out, but you don't have the resources to break out. So you can't, you know, you can't get to the resources because you're stuck in the loop. Okay. And you need the resources to get out of the loop. So you're like, well, great. I have to keep doing what I do to stay here. But it's not enough to get escape velocity. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah. So the idea here, and this is where it's a lot of entrepreneurs think, well, I am, I'm the value. So I need to just figure out a way to charge more for what I do. Okay, that's let's call that the one-to-one model. Okay. Okay. Like an attorney gets one client at a time that they can spend their time on, right? You know, uh, unless it's a class action lawsuit, I suppose. But, but it's you, still you know, one attorney, thing at a time. So the talent level and their speed and efficiency and so forth essentially is you're trading your time for money. And uh, there are lots of professions. I mean, plumbers, Doctors. tradesmen. You know, it's, it's a, okay, well, how much can I get paid per unit of labor? Like how much per hour can I charge? And the market will bear it. That's sort of how the pricing is derived. You know, if an attorney's talented enough to charge $1,000 an hour and people are willing to pay it, then good, charge $1,000 an hour. That's how that works. If they're not talented enough or if they can't find people willing to pay it, then the supply and demand curve will change the price. So that model is really hard to scale because you're the provider and you have to be face-to-face with the client. So what can that model do? You can put support staff around you that can do all of the things that are not you sitting in front of the client. Which a lot of them do. Yes. So Hence they, paralegals know, they, and all sorts of other. They're not answering their phones. They're not doing the collecting the mail or sending letters and follow-ups right. or tr- you know managing the calendar or anything. All they do is they meet with people all day. Think about your doctors. They have a staff of people that help run the organization. So the doctor is focused doing their highest value event. Right. And so that's the idea, though, is if you are going to run a company that is scalable, meaning it can grow, you will need to make yourself replaceable. So for Little John Financial, it can't be about David. It's about our team. And I, I use that. I've used the Royal We since I was in an office by myself. I've you always did. thought about we're building an organization together. There's a culture and a mission and people work as a team to serve our clients. Okay, now David, since we've been talking about small businesses, has your business model changed? Sure. Has it changed since COVID? Some. Okay, so, and, and the reason I'm bringing that up is is to let you know, like even though you may have a plan, plans change. Right. Right, and entrepreneurs need to change their plan well, from time to time change. too. Rules change, demographics change, there's always change. So you're right. always evolving with the conditions and absolutely we do that. The question, though, is about re- making yourself replaceable. The idea is for me to train everybody else in the organization to be able to do different parts of my job so that I can get focused more and more on getting into the zone of genius and helping everybody else on the team find their zone of genius. If we're right. all working in our sweet spot, the productivity is magnified and then the quality of service to our customers is elevated so that's the concept is what if imagine if you're still you know so if you're retired listening to this you can just kind of look back and wonder what it would have been like but if you're still working imagine if you found a place where 
you didn't hate going to work, you loved it. And what you were doing brought you joy and it was like you wanted to go there. You yeah, woke up in the morning and said, excitement. I want to go do this because it's what I love doing. Right. Now imagine if everybody got to do that. Oh, it'd be so amazing. What, the world would be a happier yeah, place. What would our economy look like if everybody found that there was something that they could get paid for that they loved doing? We'd have a thriving economy. It would be pretty exceptional. Now, it, it, you know, this is sort of a utopian concept. I don't believe it really exists because, you know, none of us stays happy all the time. Things go wrong and, you know, we change our taste changes. It's, you know, what I love today, you know, there was a time when I thought I wanted to be like a lazy boy video game tester. <laughs> like that would be so awesome. I just want to sit in recliners and play video games. Can I do that for a living? Uh, yeah, yeah, I can do like that for 15. about three hours, and then I'm like, yeah. and I'm done here. And today I'm like, that sounds horrible, right? <laughs> there was a moment I was like, man, cross-country driver sounds awesome, because then I get to see the world. And then I drove up to Portland and back in one day and went, nope, <laughs> yeah. there's enough of that for me. I couldn't do that every day. So, yeah, I know. sometimes thinking about it is much better than actually doing it. Yep, studies around that, too. Oh, lots of them. Yeah, yeah, so... Uh, anyhow, again, this concept though is, you know, when you're the employee, you want to demonstrate this exceptional value to your employer because there's this sort of unwritten law. This came from a, a book that was written years ago by Napoleon Hill called Think and Grow Rich, but it's the law of compensation. The law of compensation is that no work goes uncompensated. Somebody that does more than is required and goes the extra mile either catches the attention of the employer and ultimately is paid more for their skills. So right. it is rewarded ultimately because you've invested and that investment pays off. But if it doesn't pay off with that employer, guess what? It'll pay off with another one. The best somebody of, else will notice too. You know too. what? The easiest way to get a great job is to already have a job and do well at it because that's what people get poached. They right? do. Um, it's, it's a funny reality, but employers love the idea that I'm recruiting somebody else that I already know is a great employee. So it's not a wild card. Look, they're already holding a job down and reliable and doing all those things. Let's get them. Yeah. You know, that's what, that's what happens a lot is people get recruited away. To this day, I still get solicitations from headhunters to see if I would like to go work somewhere. And I always chuckle and go, well, I don't know if the boss is cool with that. <laughs> <laughs> let me see. Let me have a meeting with myself. Does this work out <laughs> and for and me? And they're like, well, you know, your boss doesn't have to know. And I'm like, oh, he'll know. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, that's actually kind of funny. Thank you. You're like, did you not see the name on the yeah. door? Oh, he'll know. <laughs> yeah. It's not my father, by the way. It's me. Yeah. So anyway, It's interesting just, you say that. I do get stu like stuff like that from LinkedIn and solicitations like, hey, would you yeah. be interested in this? And I was like, mm, no. But. It, it happens, but that's the law of compensation. It's just be worth it and people will find you. Uh, and being worth it is lots of things. It's not just because you're really good at something, right? That's not what, what makes a good employee is not because you're the best at doing the thing. It's because you're, you, you may be the best at doing the thing, but we can also count on you to show up when you're supposed to and do the thing consistently and sort of be the team player that that organization needs. Right. That's what makes it valuable. Because just I always think like the best 
professional athletes can be prima donnas and they're impossible to work with. You know, like that's toxic to the culture of the the team. So, you know, you can bring in a really talented player that doesn't actually make the team win. So it's not just it's, it's about not just being the talent, the right, it's about it's being, being the, the team, team player. player that the team yeah. needs. But there you go. So anyway, there's there's your uh, why you need to be but you know that's why you become irreplaceable as an employee. But you become replaceable as an employer because what you're really looking for is ways to not micromanage everything, get, get everybody and else, and, and leverage more. Right. I mean, I'm not worried about losing my job as the boss because. At, you know, I'm the one that has the hiring and firing decisions ultimately. Right. Right. And the team gets input, but ultimately the buck stops somewhere. And that's different in the private sector than the public sector where there's contracts and, you know, maybe union influence and other things that change that dynamic a lot. Right. You know, a lot of different rules. Uh, and there are certainly employment rules. Don't get me wrong. But for the, for the private sector, I'm saying. But the, the point is that me, what, what I'm by helping bring other people in around me that are more skilled than I am, it increases the efficiency of the entire team. Like we all win more. That person that's more talented is going to be better compensated. The organization will thrive more, and so everybody will more be work, better. More work, more business, more and, everything, and, and there's the value, more to go around. Yeah, and the value of the business increases, and so I, I'm not diminishing myself. It's actually increasing everyone's value by getting the right players on the team. So you make yourself replaceable by training others to be superior to what you do, and then the value of the organization thrives. And you get a lot more cultural buy-in from your people. True. Right? True. So that's the thing. Uh, and who does it ultimately benefit in our world? You. Well, I mean, it ultimately I mean, us as me. a business, as but an so, organization. So I say, like, internally, I said, our, our most important client is our own team, because if the team is really taking care of each other, then our clients get really good True, service. they do. And we don't we don't get to have a business unless we have clients. And so we got to find a way to make the experience for our clients just outstanding. Oh, I love it. All, All right. right. So there you go. So what does that mean for you as an investor? <laughs> we're gonna talk about it. <laughs> well, uh, you know, we're gonna we'll 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 take a break when we come back. We're I think we're gonna shift gears a little bit. You know, some news came out about the investments. Markets kind of dropped late in the day. I don't know if anybody watched that, but, but a few we, of you might have. Yeah, we're gonna talk a little bit about that too. We had our entrepreneur thing. Now we got to talk about you know actual investing. That and more when we come back. This is David Littlejohn and Katie Shuck. And you got True Wealth on News Radio twelve forty KQEN. All right, King. Welcome back to the True Well Show. Uh, Dave Littlejohn in studio with Katie Sheck, and we are having a great time. You are blowing up today. Blowing up. I keep hearing your phone go. Linda. It's like your little little ding ding. Oh, I'll I'll, I'll take the sound off because it's it is. I'm, hey, you call me out on it when my phone chimes in the middle of the show. No, your phone rings. You like get a doggone phone call. Be like, I'm sorry. Do I need to order a pizza or something? Shush. <laughs> Dominoes. <laughs> So, uh, all right. So we're going to shift gears. If you're just joining us, you can uh, check out the podcast. It's at littlejohnfs.com. We've been talking a lot about entrepreneurs, but uh, I do want to take a few minutes and some of the time remaining that we have on the show today. To talk to, about the market. Yeah, to talk about the market. So what because, is the market doing right now? Because Well, so first of all, backdrop, it's a fun day to talk because, you know, I took two weeks basically out of the office 
And I didn't uh, fully unplug, but I went to the other side of the country. I flew across the country. I sort of, it was a fun way to get the finger on the pulse of some other areas. And True. get a sense of some of how the country is, is responding that's different. Because, you know, we're in rural Oregon, which is a relatively blue state in the cities and a red state outside the cities. Well, and it's a low population density. I would say, I would go more with that. It's a low population density in general. Oregon itself is outside of, like, Portland. Well, you know, you outside know, of the I-5 corridor for cities with more than 100,000 people in it. Right. Like, it's, right. I mean, we, yeah, we're... You know, that... that are left-handed or I don't know weird demographics <laughs> but you get the idea that uh, we all know what we're talking about on our perspective here and of course there's there's no shortage of opinion these days about you know what's going on oh, with the politics, world politics covid meth yes. gators <laughs> so yeah whales in the amazon what, what? oh yeah it's a is thing. that a new thing now it's a thing check oh. it out so is that the august thing whales in the amazon there was a they found a whale in like in the jungle I mean, not way, but, you know, far enough in them that you're like, how did that happen? So it was weird. Uh, that, was a, that was a bet lost at sea. I could do it. You watch. I know. Here, <laughs> hold my whale. Like, what? So anyhow. The, okay. So. <laughs> so what? Sorry, I know. It's my fault. I get him sidetracked. What news came out today that affected the markets? Okay. It's so the whole backdrop is that um, there are. People are interested. I have this question often now. Often people are asking me, what do you think the election means for the markets? And there's still a lot of people that are sort of waiting for the other shoe to drop, if you will. Is the market going to collapse? Now, let me be very clear here. I don't know the answer. Like, it's an unknowable. We can all make predictions. We can talk about our financial modeling. And what we'll know is after the fact, the person that guessed right and had the most rational logic for it will be the one that people say, see how smart they were? Right. But at this point, it's still a guess. Um, I know a few things that are fun about Tuesdays. So first of all, our investment committee met this morning. Okay. And so we reviewed the fundamental backdrop of the markets. We looked at sort of where money was flowing, the strength in different sectors and how they're changing over time, uh, the strength of the U.S. dollar. We look at things like the uh, the call up to put ratios within the marketplace. So who's buying insurance for the markets to go up or to go down and how are they hedging? So we go through a lot of data and then we look at the behavior of the markets and how price is changing in the marketplace. And we've had, until today, the S&P 500 had been on like a nine-day win streak. I was going to say, it was probably doing pretty good. Yes, it was doing really well. We've almost, uh, again, up until today's sort of pullback, we're nearly at all-time highs. Yay! Okay. And then late in the market session, so late in the afternoon on the East Coast, uh, we had the announcement of Joe Biden's running mate. And okay. the markets precipitously declined. Which is interesting. Yeah. So they gave up anywhere from one to two percent in a, in short order. Uh, he his Biden's announcement was Kamala Harris. Okay. As his vice presidential running mate, she is an African American woman, an attorney, and um, has largely been politically very savvy. She's been a climber. Um, so I'm not making judgment calls about or telling you who Kamala to vote Kamala Harris or Joe Biden or trump or anything else what i'm telling you is what the market told us today 
which is following that announcement, stocks pulled back in price and big tech was one of the biggest hit. Oh, interesting. Right. So the Do they have a lot of policy around big tech? They have one big elephant in the room, which is tax policy. Okay. And the the Biden tax policy is a really interesting one. Uh, A lot of what he has sort of indicated on his platform, and many don't believe that it will be this aggressive, but there's there's a lot of political science about how to capture votes right now. Right. Okay. And so Biden, by aligning with an African-American woman, is appealing to a particular slice of voters. Okay. Right. And then his tax policy is, was one that was sort of formulated in part with some of what Bernie Sanders was proposing. So it's a, a more aggressive tax structure. It involves higher taxes on higher earners. But the one that has my attention is that there's potentially some significant changes to capital gains taxes. So Interesting. remember, capital gains taxes are not income. That is the one that is not spoken about frequently and in political circles because uh, we know that there are some people, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to call out a name, but I'm going to make a joke about it because as we were walking in the station, we had some people that were trying to decide who they were going to vote for president based on how attractive the um, first lady will be. Oh, goodness. And I'm thinking, okay, this is a terrible <laughs> that was, methodology. That was the conversation. <laughs> this is a terrible methodology. And if this is your methodology, you're a terrible person. Uh, so. Did they actually, didn't they do that? Oddly enough, with like when Bill Clinton ran, wasn't it? Was like, oh, he's cuter than the other guy oh, kind of yeah. thing. I mean, I mean, I, and I'm sure that I'm teasing to, to a little to bit. To some but at extent. At the same time, folks will make their judgment call for lots of reasons. But what the market was telling us is if the Biden camp were to get elected, see Kamala Harris politically is further left than Biden has been historically. Right. And so what it is, is sort of a tip of the hat. The running mate is saying, we're going to run on a more left leaning progressive platform. And if elected, we, one of the things on their platform is much more aggressive taxes on capital gains. Well, the stock market is very interested in capital gains uh, tax. Yeah. Very interested. Uh, in fact, I had a, a very interesting conversation with somebody about what does the capital gains tax mean? Because uh, I want to leave some people with a thought here. And this, this thought, it, it's not political. It's economic. But people have, have routinely said, well, the rich need to pay their fair share. And that if we tax the rich more, then we would be able to afford more services. So I'm not going to dispute that if taxing the rich, we were able to collect more revenue, that we couldn't do more because there's a tremendous amount of wealth concentrated in just a handful of hands. But I think there's some unintended consequences that are worth discussing after the last break there you go i was waiting for it yeah so stick around and we'll come back and like really if you if you want to have like an aha moment about unintended consequences of tax policy the market just told us something today and i want to break that down in our last segment but stick around we got to take our last break so we'll we'll be right back this is david littlejohn and katie shook and you're listening to true wealth on news radio 1240 kqen 
Hey gang, welcome back to the home stretch of the True Wealth Radio Show. Oh, my voice is so raspy right now. Those darn allergies this time of year really makes me really funny. It's like it's her lingerie voice. It's the raspy. Is that what one, it is? Right? Like, my Barry White voice. This is my <laughs> late night phone call voice. Like okay, <laughs> my my thyroid's uh, having issues. Voice. <laughs> like wow. <laughs> so we were talking about what the what the market showed us and. There's a I'm, there's a little conjecture in what I'm sharing here, but I just want to give folks a final thought before we uh, end the program today on capital gains because you're talking gains, about taxes tax. and capital gains. Well, and the unintended consequence when people say, "Well, we just need to tax billionaires," and here's what I think folks miss: most of a billionaire's net worth is typically illiquid, meaning it's tied up in ownership assets. of things so like jeff bezos is the i believe the world's richest man right now he owns i think 14 percent of amazon okay so amazon when you own 14 percent of a company that's got a trillion dollar market cap you're a billionaire right right and but that like doesn't a mean multi-billionaire a, but that doesn't mean he has a billion dollars in well, cash but in i a want vault. you to think about like let's say that that he's worth a hundred billion dollars and people say that's ridiculous. We should just tax him at twenty percent. You know, everybody else is paying. Or, well, let's say he should be taxed at the highest rate, right? And the highest rate in the Biden tax plan is currently thirty-nine percent, as I understand it. It's currently thirty-seven percent. Almost half. But that's thirty-nine. It's a third. It's over a third. Yeah. Well, first and foremost, Jeff Bezos has owned his Amazon stock for decades, so it's not income taxes that's going to get him. I don't know if Jeff Bezos even takes an income, right? I mean, he probably gets some money in income and he pays income taxes like everybody else does. But as a percentage of his net worth, you don't get to tax the Amazon stock unless he sells it. Right. But if you say, no, no, he has to pay the tax just for owning it. Ooh, that's, that's okay? a slippery slope. So that And people will say, well, you know, we make people pay property taxes for living somewhere. It's like, well, that is true. But think about the unintended consequence of saying, well, he's going to have to pay, let's just say, 39% on his Amazon stock because he's worth $100 billion. He's going to have to sell basically 40% of his stock. So go from a 14% owner to, what, 8% or something. When he does that, he will flood the market with Amazon stock. Which will drive the price down which will collapse the price. If you sell, if 8% of the company's all of a sudden sold, then you could have arguably, you know, the Amazon could go from 3,000 a share to, it could, maybe it could drop 20%, right? So all of a sudden it's down to what, 2,400 a share or something like that. If that's the case, then not only did Jeff Bezos get hammered, but every Amazon shareholder, which is also government pensions. And now you have collapsed a giant underpinning of the economy. Right. And the unintended on consequence position. ripples through and damages everybody. Right. And if it's and if it's on And then the next year, if you're gonna tax him again, you're gonna force him to sell again. And what you're gonna do is you're gonna force people out of ownership. And then people won't want to own stuff. Well, then, gonna... pe then nobody will, right? Because who's the owner? If every year you have to sell it, you'll run out of buyers. Eventually, if every year I'm forced to sell it, where's the new buyer come from? Right. 
Well, so and, if, the, and if it's passing for them, it's going to pass for other people that own the company, too. So, like, if you're doing it based on ownership and not based on sale. Right. And so somebody out there saying, well, then don't do it that high. Make it 5%. Doesn't matter. Pick, you're still forcing people. If you force people to, to liquidate assets, then you change dramatically the dynamic. And what you, in effect, do, and see, I make this case all the time. You don't really own your property if you have to pay property taxes on it. Because guess what? If you don't pay the taxes, they'll you, take it. They'll take the house, yeah. Yeah. So then in there's no private ownership anymore. Now there's private control. But, but not if private you're ownership. forced to sell all the time to pay taxes, then at some point there's not traditional private ownership either. Right. So the unintended consequences, I'm not suggesting the system couldn't be redesigned. But I'm saying if you try to do it suddenly on something of that size and scale, you could break a lot of stuff, right? It's like, oh, well, that's fine. We have a car on the freeway traveling 90 miles an hour, and we need to instantly make it go 60 miles an hour. Well, what, are you going to throw a parachute out of the back? It's going to slam everybody forward when you do. It's going to break stuff. You True. know, you can't, you can't just downshift without breaking things sometimes. Well, and stop voting like you're punishing the other guy. Yeah. What would you do if that were your money? Vote that way. <laughs> well, it, it, I would say it's not about punishing people. It's about just better economic understanding, which is why we do this program. It's why we give so much away on our website. It's why we, we train people on our YouTube channel. I want you all to make good financial decisions, and I want you to understand the system. I want you to That's make great why. financial decisions. Yeah, make awesome decisions. Make them better than good. And if you need help, call us at 541-375-0898. All right, and check out our website, littlejohnfs.com. We're out of time. Katie, thank you as always. Thanks for having me. Uh, until next time, this is David Littlejohn. And Katie Shook. You've been listening to True Wealth on News Radio 1240. KQEN.